from the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. As of last Thursday, May 14th, my lawyer Bill Richmond and I have filed a notice of a lawsuit against YouTube and are seeking an injunction uh, to prevent them, to stop them from currently deplatforming us. I want to be really clear, this is different from claims and counterclaims or people thinking that their content is being throttled. We've officially sent a notice of a lawsuit. Uh, very different level. This is the big one, boys and girls. That's comedian and commentator Steven Crowder on a recent episode of his show, Louder with Crowder, taking the gloves off. Over the past few months, he's been receiving strikes from YouTube for allegedly violating their harassment and cyberbullying policy. These strikes have resulted in the suspension of his show demonetization, or the inability to profit from views, and a complete disconnect with the nearly 5.7 million subscribers to his YouTube channel. While the story is making headlines and the lawsuit will serve as a challenge to the way the system is currently set up, this is just another example of the scores of conservative people feeling like they're being unfairly silenced by social media. It's happening. No question about it. But should conservatives like Crowder even be upset about this? Does it merit a lawsuit? What are those terms and what are those conditions? What do they mean? Are they clearly defined? I mean, it's hard to hold someone accountable to terms that aren't clear to begin with. When you look at the mistakes that are made where maybe they'll pull down some content, maybe they'll demonetize a specific influencer, you have to realize that these mistakes tend to only happen in one direction, and that does not redound to the benefit of conservatives. It's usually targeting conservatives. I don't think it was originally intended to just target conservatives, but it seems to have metastasized in that way. That's Kara Frederick. She's a research fellow in tech policy here at the Heritage Foundation. On this episode, she places the Crowder case in context, what it means for conservatives, and explains why social media companies must be clearer in defining their terms, especially if they're going to continue to silence users. More after this. I'm Virginia Allen. I want to tell you all about an awesome Heritage Foundation resource called the Index of Economic Freedom. The Heritage Foundation Index of Economic Freedom ranks nearly every nation in the world according to its level of economic freedom. Whether for personal, professional use, or for school research, the index is a wealth of information. You can learn why it's easier to start a business in Switzerland than it is in France, and where America falls on the ranking. So go ahead and visit heritage.org index to explore the newly released 2021 Index of Economic Freedom, which features interactive maps, country rankings, graphs of data, and much, much more.
Well, Kara, I want to be, I mean, this is your first time joining Heritage Explains because you're new to Heritage. So first of all, welcome to the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. It's been a great three weeks. <laughs> you have been very busy because this exact issue continues to uh, just just not plague us, but but it is it is here and it is real. And we're going to talk about a lot of the censorship issues that are happening uh, through social media and various platforms like that. So um, your recent piece covers Steve Crowder. It's Louder with Crowder is the show that he has on YouTube. Um, and it's it's a it's a really good program. And he's, um, as you call him, a conservative uh, comedian. Um, I'd, I'd probably a commentator, too, if, if anything. Um, and he has been reprimanded, we'll say, on YouTube. And he was just issued his second demerit, reprimand, what, what do you call it? A strike. A, a strike. hard strike a hard in strike. YouTube's parlance. Okay, a hard strike. So I guess three strikes and you're out. Precisely. Okay, so he had he had one back in March, which um, completely demonetized him, and you can explain that. He was just issued his second, and then I think it's within 90 days, if he gets a third, he's gone forever. Exactly. Okay. You're exactly right. Explain, explain a little bit of the, what, what drives that system. Yep, so these tech companies, in grappling with the plethora of content on their platforms, they basically developed a system. They call them you know, community guidelines. Certain platforms call them community standards. Um, they have to do with their terms of service as well. And when you're using a platform, you agree to their specific set of rules. I say specific. That's actually a misnomer because <laughs> a lot of times these rules are extremely vague and they change uh, depending on the situation. They yeah. change depending on you know who's in a leadership position at the time. Uh, so they're not always uh, very specific, and that's part of the problem. They're yeah. not always transparent either. But they do issue some transparent guidelines, community guidelines in particular for YouTube. Hmm. And what they say is you can't have three strikes on the platform within 90 days. And that means if you do something wrong that they view to be in violation of their policies, like their community guidelines as they name them, then you get one hard strike. And that means you're demonetized. That means it's, it's considered a warning if you get a second hard strike. That's your your second warning. If you get a third one, you're gone from the platform forever. So you should consider yourself warned. Yeah. Wow. That's so. Okay. So we have a couple things here, uh, and and the first thing I want you to do is is define or give me an example, if you can, of one of those vague guidelines that that are almost impossible to to meet. Yeah. So take the platform Twitter. Yeah. Uh, remember when the Hunter Biden New York Post story came out? Yeah. Um, and we saw that you were not able to share links uh, related to the story. Mm. The New York Post, the paper started by Alexander Hamilton, was itself the profile <laughs> was suspended. They couldn't tweet from that account whatsoever. Yeah. So when uh, that occurred, they said it was uh, this story was in violation of their hacking materials policy, uh, and that was okay. We we don't know where these this laptop and this information came from. They instituted it sort of in the wake of the, the WikiLeaks, which they felt had a political impact, and right. they didn't want to sort of repeat that again because YouTube, all these platforms take a lot of heat when people attribute um, political impact to anything the platforms have done. Uh, right. So they said that was in violation of their hacked materials policy. They later changed it after there was an uproar, after this was deemed to be a legitimate story, right. um, and reinstituted a New York Post, but not after 
after a very, very long time. Yeah, and the damage had already been done. Precisely. Yeah. I Precisely. mean, and, and, and that's part and that's a, a really good example of all this. And so we get back to and, and, and some of the like we said, the damage had been done on the on the Twitter thing with the New York Post. And, and we get back to this YouTube thing with Steve Crowder and uh, five million subscribers, five million followers on YouTube, that's a heck of a lot of revenue that's generated through his channels. And, I, and, and and you can watch, a lot of people watch these things. They drive advertising revenue. YouTube benefits from it. Um, so so why, and, and he's, he was demonetized after the first strike. Talk a little bit about um, what this has done. Why is this happening to people on the left on YouTube as well? Or is this largely just kind of there to deprive conservatives of the ability to make money on this? So I don't think that was the original intent of the okay. policy, but when you look at the mistakes that are made where maybe they'll pull down some content, maybe they'll demonetize a specific influencer, you have to realize that these mistakes tend to only happen in one direction, hmm. and that does not redound to the benefit of conservatives. It's usually targeting conservatives. Crowder is a big figure. He's a conservative influencer. Like you said, 5 million subscribers on yeah. YouTube. It means the breadth and the reach of his account is prodigious. So he effectively has has a target on his back, especially because of that, you know, first strike policy, because he's been pretty litigious when it comes to Facebook um, suspending some of his work as well. So he's got a target on his back because of the, you know, the breadth and the reach of his account, uh, because so many people look at him as sort of an example, uh, both of, of good uh, information and bad information. You know, Media Matters is all over these guys, <laughs> yeah. just listening to hours of tape, wow. uh, trying to find something wrong. So um, I don't think it was originally intended to just target conservatives, but it seems to have metastasized in that way. So did you see this video? I, I, I have yet to see it. My question is, is do you think what he posted was worthy of a strike? Well, there are two videos. And as okay. I said in the Daily Signal piece, he's a, he's polemic. You know, he is a comedian. He's a, he's edgy. He's a bit of a rabble rouser. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw him on Megyn Kelly's podcast, but he was great. They talked for hours. And I think a lot of the things that he spoke about were in defense of traditional American values, yeah. individual freedom, um, nothing objectionable there. But he does try to, you know, he, he tries to to be a little crazy. He's, he's not he's not scared to speak an opinion or a differing viewpoint. Right? And we need that, right? <laughs> His whole change my mind shtick. Um, you know, he sometimes goes into the fray and he gets dirty. Um, but that's fine. We need the genuine interrogation of ideas of all kinds in America. You know, we're we were supposed to have a marketplace of ideas and he's thrown himself into that. So, okay, mm. let him speak. So, uh, you know, I the two um episodes that we're talking about that earned him the the first one was because of COVID misinformation, according to YouTube's policies. Uh -huh. The second one was because he was offering commentary on Makia Bryant's death. And that was uh. the, the woman who was shot or the teenager who was shot um, in a police shooting when he she was blatantly trying to stab another girl, uh, probably could have killed her. Yeah. And he basically said, you know, not not necessarily a, a, a bad um, shoot, according to, um, you know, police uh, rules and, and, and whatnot. So they thought 
thought he was sort of glorifying violence and whatnot. But again, it, it comes down to inconsistencies because I talk about in the piece the the Bill Maher show where Bill Maher, he laughs about uh, David Koch's death. Um, he says he hopes it was painful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if if Bill Maher, who, who actually at this point is probably one of the, the people who's standing up for free expression, paradoxically enough. Absolutely. Um, yes. at, at this it's, point it's in time. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yep. It, it is so bizarre. But but if he if his video is still searchable, if his, it's still up um, on his show's um, page, then why why are we taking down these Steve Crowder uh, uh, accounts? Why are we threatening him with, like you said, full demonetization, not allowing him to make a living off this platform? Yeah. Um, and that, you know, you you hear this common refrain, you know, these are private companies. Uh, they shouldn't be allowed to uh, they should be allowed to do whatever they want. And he doesn't have a right to earn a living on something they've created. Mm. But when the when the rules are applied so inconsistently, yeah. when they are enforced pretty much on big conservative influencers like this, then you have to question, you know, is this process really fair? At least be transparent. Yeah. Um, so, But that's not actually happening right now. The piece is, Steven Crowder is suing YouTube over vague rules, but it's not just about him. This was posted on the Daily Signal Care. I'm going to link to it. Um, and, and going along with what you were just talking about, you said, quote, the fight is not about Crowder. Instead, it's a crisis of the tech titans' own making. Inconsistent enforcement of vague rules, boom, inconsistent again. Uh, the opacity of content moderation practices and a lack of recourse are the hallmarks of big tech today. I mean, I think that that right there draws the line. And and, and I want to continue for draw the line for us just a little bit more, you know, there's a big debate here in, in conservative Washington, D.C. On, as to how to deal with this. You know, a lot of voices say we just leave it alone. We let the market decide. Um, it's sort of the libertarian market driven argument. A lot of the tech companies are investing a lot of money for people to say that. Um, and then others on the left say we need more of this and we should actually use the government to ensure that we have more content moderation. OK, so given the increase in this inconsistent enforcement and really clear bias toward conservatives. Where does heritage, where do conservatives, where should they land on this? I think we should always err on the side of free expression. And I think the platform should do that as well. Um, we talk about there's a, a multifaceted approach that's needed. And there are room for the markets. Absolutely. Mm. When we come up with alternative platforms, technical solutions, uh, not just at the application level, layer of the te technical stack, but at the ground, more foundational layers of the technical stack, um, a good example of this is during the, the Parler episode, mm. when Parler yes. was yanked from from Apple and Google. Okay, that's at the application layer. You know, there are alternatives, not necessarily comparable with regard to their market share, but there are different um, Twitter competitors like Mastodon that exist as well. Okay, maybe like that's fine. The market sort of works there, but they still don't have again the market share. They're they're not fully developed. But then when you get to the cloud hosting services, AWS, Amazon Web Services, they decided to yank Parler from their their platform 
and, and this is huge when they're yeah. at the foundational level of the stack, then you don't have that many comparable platforms to deal with. So conservatives, they need to buck up. They need to make their own. Yes, we've, we've mm-hmm. heard that common refrain. Not that easy given the market share of some of these companies, uh, but they do need to account for uh, the full level, all levels of the technical stack. In that regard, companies are coming up that are trying to solve these problems like Martin Avila's Right Forge, mm-hmm. um, Dave Rubin's On Locals. So, certain companies are, are doing their best. They're not there yet. They haven't sort of reached um, a point where they can actually compete with these companies, uh, but they're trying. You said in your piece, quote, it's clear that if unchecked, these companies and their employees will continue to narrow the bounds of acceptable discourse on one side of the political spectrum only. Americans can and should hit back. It's past time for concrete, actionable solutions. So let's go through some of these solutions. What can the states do? All right. So we've got some good proposals in the works. Um, And I say we, I mean state legislatures. Um, There's various uh, draft bills are winding their way through these legislators. Some have actually gotten out of them and are are on their way to being ratified. Um, Florida is a good example. So the hero of the day, Ron DeSantis, um, is again um, uh, acquitting himself well here in this arena. And I think he's, um, you know, the, the idea is to rebalance the relationship between the consumer and the corporate. It allows them to hold these big tech companies to account when they, you know, commit violations of free expression, individual freedom. Um, It basically gives some teeth uh, to our ability as consumers to sort of take the power back in a way um, if they're going to use these platforms. Yes, it is voluntary, but these platforms have insinuated themselves so deeply in public discourse. They are the public square now. There's no denying that. So we need to come up with – different answers to new questions, because make no mistake, these are transformative elements of our society. So should this stay at a state level or is this something that we should, every time I say, should the federal government get involved, I'm nervous, but is this something that the federal government can get involved with or should get involved with? So at Heritage, we're very wary of the federal government using <laughs> the wrong tools in an yes. expansive way, I think, agreeably so. You know, I used to work for the federal government for years. Yeah. Uh, they are not very efficient. They don't do things very well. <laughs> so I, you know, I balk every time somebody says, use the government for this, use the government for that. Come on. It's, it, you know, it's it's not the best instrument. Yeah. However, um, we do think that there are some changes to be made uh, to a smaller degree. Okay. And that's following, you know, Clarence Thomas, who sort of signaled that uh, Section 230, the 26 words that created the Internet, they're no longer untouchable. Maybe they need to be readdressed. So we favor some sort of refining, um, a focused reform uh, to sort of pare back that sweeping immunity that's been interpreted by the courts since that rule in the Communications Decency Act was instituted. Uh, So we say one of the things, I'll only mention one right here. Yeah, yeah. But we, you know, technology development always outpaces attempts to govern it. Mm. So give the give it a sunset clause. Make sure that we could readdress it in seven years because technology will have developed so far beyond what we can even imagine today, yeah. even if it's just in the social media atmosphere, which, you know, we're not going to have jetpacks or flying cars by then. I as, mean, correct me if I'm wrong, though. It, it, it hasn't been updated since 1996 and when we, you when, when I was dialing in on AOL <laughs> through exactly. my phone modem. <laughs> You're dating yourself. But, Thank you. But exactly. Yes. And, you know, I think, yeah, we, we should 
be able to basically bring them back to what they were originally created for. And okay. that was to not overburden these fledgling companies in the 90s with um, innovation stifling litigation. So let's do that. Keep it back. OK, so there's a small role for the federal government okay. here. Well, Kara, thank you so much for coming in and explaining this a little bit for us, really drawing lines in the sand here that, that are actionable. So, so again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Heritage Explains. We really appreciate you continuing to download the episode, to share it with your friends. Hit that like button or or that five-star button, whatever you listen to. Like it, like it, like it. It really means a lot to us. Leave us a comment if you have something to say. Also, you can send us an email at managingeditor at heritage.org. That's managingeditor at heritage.org. And a special announcement... Michelle Cordero, that's right, the co-host of co-hosts, Michelle Cordero, is up next week. We can't wait to hear from her then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.